We went to visit some friends this week, had a wonderful time sharing a couple of days of fun and reminiscing and board games and all that good stuff. I decided I'd take a shortcut across their sunken living room. I wish I had realized it was a sunken living room. So I'm grateful to be able to walk today. It's the first day I've been able to walk since um, I decided to visit their Christmas tree in the sunken living room in pain and agony. It was wonderful. So I'm going to sit today at the table. I think this is very contemporary, so I want you to know how cool and modern I really am. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. We have been exploring the Gospel of John during this Advent and Christmas season. As you're turning to John chapter 1, I want you to know that Doug and I spent a few moments before service began praying with, with Ray. Hope you will continue to pray for his son. I also noticed that there were several more people that were wearing masks today. Certainly the news concerning the spread of the Omicron variant is uh, very large and very, very dramatic. And I hope you feel comfortable wearing a mask when you come to church and that you allow others to feel comfortable if they choose to wear a mask. I think this has been described as a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And I hope and pray that you are vaccinated and that if you are not, you will consider it. My wife and I are vaccinated. We are fully vaccinated. We've had our booster shots. Should they say there is another one, we'll go get that one. I don't think that taking a booster shot or wearing a mask is a sign of a lack of faith. I knew there was an amen somewhere. I just think it is being wise about John chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. John writes these words. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own. His own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, 
the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. How did they miss it? How did they miss it? Why didn't they know? How come they didn't recognize that the Messiah, the Christ, the long-awaited Savior, the long-awaited Deliverer of Israel and indeed of the world had come? How did they miss it? John makes it abundantly clear in his prologue to this gospel that in spite of the, of the fact that Jesus was divine, in spite of the fact that he was eternal, despite of the, of the fact that he had existed forever, in spite of the fact that he had the power and ability to create all things and that all things were created through him, despite of the fact that he is light and that his light shines and that he is life and he brings life to all, those he came to save didn't recognize him. How'd they miss him? They didn't know him. They didn't worship him. They didn't recognize him. And by implication, they outright rejected Jesus from the very start. Why didn't they know him? How'd they miss it? How in the world did they miss it? It wasn't that God did it in secret. <laughs> Far from it. There were prophecies in the Old Testament that gave hints, that gave understanding to the fact that this Messiah would come. I, I asked Don to help me. I've got about, about five, just a smattering of a few Old Testament verses that were prophetic and that were used to understand, even before Jesus came, that this is how the Messiah would happen. First one is from Numbers 24, 17. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. That's the old name for Israel. A scepter will arise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of the people of Sheath. This is, this is the idea that what is going to happen is that there is going to come this star, this rising person, this exceptional individual, and he will rise out of, out, of, uh, out of Israel, out of the house of Jacob, and he will crush the foreheads, the skulls of the people. What it means, he's not literally going to come and just beat somebody over the head, but he will change their minds and how they think. Moab and Sheath, by the way, are Gentile places. Then there was Isaiah. Isaiah loves to talk about both the birth and death of Jesus, and he's quoted frequently about this idea of the birth of Jesus. In 11.1, 1, he says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, Jesse from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Then, and a little earlier in Isaiah 17, or Isaiah 7, verse 14, he says, behold, a virgin shall conceive. Behold, a virgin will conceive. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He's very clear as to who this Jesus is going to be. Conceived by a virgin, letting you know that the child is going to be born. 
And then in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, Jeremiah writes, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, our, the Lord, our righteous Savior. God was very clear in the Old Testament that there was someone coming and, they gave, and then gave details about the nature both of his coming and who he was and who he would be. And then it finally ends with Micah 5.2, which is, uh, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small in the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This is the one that Herod asked the priests and the leaders, the, the, the rulers and teachers of the law, he says, where is the Christ going to be born? And they quickly come up with Micah 5 too because they knew this. They knew these prophecies. They talked about the coming Messiah. This wasn't something that was unknown. This is something that was preached among them, that was taught among them, that they knew readily. How in the world then <laughs> did they miss it? Don't you find it strange that the, the, the Pharisees, the, the, the priests, and the teachers of the law, when Herod came in and said, where is the Christ going to be born? They said, in Bethlehem. And the Magi rejoiced and went to Bethlehem. Don't you find it strange that none of the priests went? How'd they miss this? How'd they miss it? It wasn't just prophecies. God wasn't intent just to say, here it is in your word. God sent signs, miracles. He sent a star in the sky. He called on all of nature. He called on the heavens to proclaim the fact that this Jesus was coming. All of creation. He put a star in the sky, a star that wasn't supposed to be there. It shouldn't be there. But he put it there to announce, to clarify and eventually to point the way to where the child was. How do you miss that? Surely there were astronomers in Israel. Surely there were people who looked to the sky. How'd they miss it? He sent an angel to Mary. Here's what's going to happen. Talk to her about this immaculate birth. He sent a, an angel army to the shepherds. <laughs> I guess one angel wasn't enough. So he sent an angel to proclaim and then sends an army. That'll get your attention. Especially if it's in the sky. He sends this angel army to detail the birth, to pronounce the place where the child was to be, to identify the fact of his divinity, and to proclaim his true nature. Even the shepherds could read that sign. How come the rest of them didn't see it? How'd they miss this? How'd they miss it? If you take inventory, it's so fascinating. He reveals it to Gentiles through the Magi. He reveals it to unclean Jews. That's the shepherds. They couldn't go to temple because they were out taking care of the sheep. He reveals it to Jewish political leaders. Herod knows. 
He reveals it to Jewish priests, to the chief priests, and to the teachers of the law, through the prophecies, through the scriptures, so the establishment knows. And then to common folks. After Jesus is born, a week later, he's dedicated in the temple, and Simeon and Anna, common folks, living in the temple, being in the temple, looking for the sign, recognize that this Jesus is the Messiah. And then finally, to a pregnant Elizabeth as the baby leaps in her womb when Mary shows up. How did they miss it? He's not trying to slip Jesus in surreptitiously. He's not trying to close everybody's eyes and just fool them and say, oh, no, nothing over here, and then sleight of hand, here comes Jesus. He used empires to create a census to fulfill the prophecy about where he would be born. He used dreams to convince, G, to convince Joseph that there really was a virgin birth in terms of Mary. He used dreams uh, to allow the Magi to go home by another route so that they wouldn't have to go back to Herod. And finally, he used a dream to again tell Joseph to go to Egypt so that he could avoid the infanticide that Herod was about to foist on the city of Bethlehem. What more do you want? What more could you want? All of nature, all of scripture, the prophecies, all the signs, the miracles, the sending of angels, the dreams, the expressions, the revelations. He did it all to say, hey, by the way, here comes Jesus. And they missed it. They missed it. How in the world did they miss it? John makes it abundantly clear in verses 10 and 11 that the tragedy of the story of the birth of Christ is that they missed it. Here's verse 10. It says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. L look at that for a moment. John doesn't mince words here, does he? He speaks directly to the tragedy of Christmas. They didn't get it. Didn't understand it. Didn't recognize him. Now, to be honest, of all the verses in John, this one makes the most sense to me. The world didn't get it. <laughs> I get that. The world doesn't get it. That's why, you know, they're the world. They are not believers. And the world didn't recognize him. Why should they? That's who they are. They're not looking. They're not believing. They're not embracing. He was in the world, which he made, and though the world was made through him, even the people that don't believe, they were unbelievers. They didn't believe. They didn't recognize him. You know, I'm fascinated sometimes by the church <laughs> because the church seems oftentimes surprised that the world doesn't believe. You realize that the world doesn't believe. That's what makes them the world. So when politicians do things that you say, how can they do that? I'm sitting in the back going, I get it. 
when some business makes a choice or some individual does something that is terrible. I, I get it. I'm not trying to excuse it. I just understand that the world acts like the world. The world doesn't act like Christ. That's what makes them the world. The world doesn't get Christianity. When you share your faith, when, when, when somebody like Mindy comes up here and talks about the adoption of this child and names the child faith, the world doesn't always get that. The world doesn't always get that. When the pennies look around and say, we're doing this because we think this is what God wants us to do, not everybody understands that. When I sat with Doug and prayed with Ray Berger, Ray said, I'm looking for a Christmas miracle. Trust me, the world doesn't get that. The world doesn't get this. What does the world know? The world knows to act selfishly, to act on its own interests. After all, they're in sin. I, I know that's not a popular word. Pardon me. Excuse me for those of you that are out in internet land. I know that's not a, po that's not a popular word, but, you know, it's what the Bible calls it. It means that you're in the world. When you're acting selfishly, when you're doing the things that are devoid of God, when you want to be God rather than allowing God to be God, that's called sin. It means you're separated from God. So if Jesus comes, you're going to miss it because you're not looking for it. You're separated from God. See, the common characteristics of sinners is that they, you know, sin. Aren't you glad you came out to church today for that one? We shouldn't be surprised by that, by who they are, by what they do, by how they live. After all, it's what we were before we came to Christ. Can I get an amen from anybody? When people come to the church and they're not Christians, folks, we shouldn't expect them to act like it. Act like Christians, I mean. Do we get that? I think we do when they first come, but if they've been around for a little while, then we want them to act more Christianly. Because, you know, after all, you're coming to church. As though coming to church makes you a Christian. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage makes you a Ferrari. Come on, folks. <laughs> now, if you're not a Christian and you're here and you're coming to church, let me say thank you. I think that's wonderful. You're putting yourself in a place where you can come to an understanding, where God can reveal himself to him, to you, where you can get it, where you can see it. But that's something that God has to do in you. It's a transformation that he has to accomplish in you. Therefore, you have to yield to him before you'll see it, recognize it, before you get it. Shouldn't shock us or surprise us that the world doesn't recognize Jesus. Shouldn't surprise us that Herod acts the way that he acts. He's a horrible person. 
he acts the way he acts because of who he is. Not to condone it and not to excuse it, but it just shouldn't surprise us. What should surprise us? <laughs> what should surprise us, shock us, and disappoint us is verse 11. Verses 11 is the one that bothers me. He came to that which was his own, but his own, his own did not receive him. One of my favorite scholars, biblical scholars, is a guy named Leon Morris. And Leon Morris is, is a brilliant scholar. And he says, you can, you can honestly translate the first part of this verse by saying that Jesus came home but the people in his home didn't receive him. Jesus came home. He came to his own. In other words, he came to those who believed in God, those who believed in the fact that there was someone coming, those who believed and knew that there was a Messiah that had been prophesied, and still, 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 they missed it. How in the world did they miss it? That's the great tragedy of the Christmas story. The great tragedy of the Christmas story is that the ones who were all prepped to get it still missed it. This should be a tale for the church, a wary experience for the church. You can still be in Christ and miss it if you're not looking for what God is doing. If you're not ready, if you're not prepped, if the old saints used to say, if you ain't prayed up, you can miss what God is doing and think that you're doing what God wants you to do. This is not a game that we play. The people that were there at the time of the birth of Jesus, and they were Jews, and they were around Jerusalem in particular, they had the prophecies, they knew where he was going to be born, they knew that he was going to come as a child, and still they missed it. They still missed it. They had the prophecies, they had the signs, they had the anticipation, they had the miracles that they knew of, and still they missed it. This is the tragedy of Christmas in our society today. I love Christmas. I had a lot of fun. I have a snowman tile. Thank you very much. I, I have a red jacket. I should have worn it, but I wasn't. Anyway. We join in the cultural celebration of Christmas with joy and gladness, but we fail to understand the spiritual revelation that comes with Christmas. Jesus is still coming, folks. Jesus comes again and again and again and again. Jesus is still coming. He's still being born in us. Christmas is not just Santa Claus. Christmas is not the cultural lights and holly and ivy and reeds. As wonderful as they are and as beautiful as they look and we use them, it is to remind us 
that Jesus is born, and we in the church best not miss it. Do you know the tradition about the poinsettia? It's a fanciful tradition, but the tradition is that the poinsettia is red because it is there to remind you of the drops of blood that Jesus shed. Isn't it fascinating that the poinsettia has become the flower of Christmas when it talks about his death? Did you hear Brandon singing the song at the end? And how it combined the story of birth, death, and resurrection. It was a powerful, powerful truth. Because Jesus isn't just a baby. He came to live, he came to do, he came to die, he came to live again, and he's coming again. Come on, folks, let's get the whole story. When you hear the church is in Advent, and technically this is the last Sunday of Advent in the church calendar... Advent is the anticipation of the coming of Christ. And in a lot of churches that follow what's called the lectionary, that follow the church calendar year, during this season, one of the sermons the preacher will preach on is the second coming. Why in the world would you preach on the second coming when we're celebrating the birth of Christ? Because the first coming is the birth of Christ, and because of that, we anticipate the second coming. He's coming again. Now, we've got the theology about how he's coming again, all screwed up in the life of the church. Just read Church of God stuff. We got it right. Okay. Let us not be content just to celebrate the cultural experience of Christmas, but let's remind ourselves that Christmas is about the fact that Jesus was incarnate. The word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. What a tragedy it is that the people who should have known his own, when Jesus came home, they didn't get it. And what a tragedy today it is that the church oftentimes comes to an empty celebration and still doesn't get the reality of what Christmas is and means. Jesus was born for you to take away your sin and mine. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He was life and light. Let's celebrate that. Right there, in the midst of all this loss, in the midst of missing his coming, there stands a powerful truth that John expresses that makes Christmas still worth celebrating. Here it is. Verse, um, verse 13, I think it is. Go back to 12 and we'll go into that. Yet to all who did not receive him, to those who believed in who all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Next verse. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Here's the great truth of Christmas. 
Do you think God was surprised when they didn't get it? <laughs> Do you think he was, gosh, I'm so surprised they didn't understand? No, I don't think so. I don't think he was caught off guard. But here's the real miracle of Christmas. God sent Jesus anyway. Even though he knew that most people would miss it, even though he knew that people wouldn't understand the star, the star in the sky, that they wouldn't understand what the angels were truly saying to the shepherds or would believe the testimony of the shepherds, that no one would believe that Mary was a virgin when she conceived, and no one be would believe that Joseph really took her and didn't sleep with her until after the child was born. All these things, he knew that none of these things were going to be easy, none were going to be smooth, and people still wouldn't believe. And here's the great miracle and the wonder of Christmas. Jesus came anyway. Do you think that not being received or recognized surprised him? I don't think so. If God would have been surprised by the reaction or lack of reaction that people had when Jesus was born, then his reaction to it all would have been vengeance. He would have acted like Herod. And instead, he just keeps on loving. He just keeps on giving. Jesus still comes knowing that most people won't get it, won't see it, won't understand it, won't receive it. Jesus still comes, knowing the rejection of those who were his own, this homecoming repudiation that even his home folks wouldn't understand. In some ways, he comes not in spite of it, but because of it, to transform our lives and our thinking. See, this is the miracle of Christmas, the truth of the gospel in John. Jesus comes as a child to make us children. That's why we like Christmas so much. I'm leaving after the Christmas Eve service. I'm leaving after the Christmas Eve service to drive to Parkersburg, West Virginia. I'll get there probably at 10, 1030 on Christmas Eve. Also, that I can wake up way too early the next morning so that I can go into the den of my, my, uh, my son and daughter-in-law's house so that I can sit there and watch as the kids, my four grandchildren, are allowed into the den for the very first time to see the Christmas tree and all the presents. I'm not sure how many of times I'm going to get a chance to see that wonder all over again. But I'm going to get to see it on Christmas. And it's worth the trip because then I got to turn around on Christmas Day and drive back because I love you all. <laughs> but oh, to see the childlike wonder and faith and joy. I've got to see that. I need to see that. Because according to John, what makes Christmas Christmas is that this child that is born makes us children all over again. What a miracle that is. What a miracle that is. Frankly, some of you desperately need to become children again.
life's become way too serious, way too complicated, way too pressure-packed. Sometimes you ought to just become a child again. I'm not talking about growing so old that you got to wear diapers again. That's not what I mean. You understand what I mean? You still need to experience the wonder of Christmas because Jesus came as a child to make us children again because it's childlike faith that knows who he is and experiences the real meaning of his coming. Jesus was born not of natural descent. He wasn't born because of someone else's will, because of a husband's whim. We're back to the whole issue that we started this season with the first Sunday that I arrived. We're back to the conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus had. You have to be born again. Why? Because Jesus came to make you children. To allow you to explore life both here and in eternity with an innocence and a faith that can only be derived from him. Christmas is about the transforming power of God. It's about the transforming power of Jesus born in a manger. It's about the transforming power of the angel proclamation and of the Holy Spirit's work. So, if I could, do your Christmas a little different this year. This may not be for everybody. Some of you may have this tradition. I understand that, but you shouldn't allow your kids or your grandkids to run in under the tree and start tearing open the presents. That's, that's cruel. I know some people whose Christmas is over in 20 minutes. I think that's terrible. Christmas at our house, when the boys were growing up, lasted all day. We tortured them. What fun is it to be a parent? I got them back for all the things that they did to me all year at Christmas. They couldn't see the tree. They couldn't see the presents. They had to go into the kitchen. They had to eat breakfast. It was the longest breakfast in the history of the world. After the breakfast was over, Joni and I got to go into the living room. They had to stay in the kitchen. When we got settled, then they could come in. They could see the presents for the first time. They could see the stocking stuff. They couldn't open a thing. Couldn't open a thing. Because before we opened anything, we did a devotion. We sang a song. We had a prayer. It was important to remind them that this day wasn't about them. It was about Jesus. It was his birthday. We let them know how much we loved Jesus. We read the story out of Luke and Matthew. When they got older, they read the story to us. We did songs. We read plays. I, I did all kinds of things just to remind us all what the true nature of Christmas really is. And then when we were done with all of that in a prayer, then we could start opening the presents. But because we were pastors, we had to open all the gifts that came from people in the church, none of which were for the kids. I tortured them as far as I could go. 
By this time, they've been up for hours. They still haven't opened a present. Then we started with the stockings, which never had great things in them, that have oranges and apples. And sometimes the oranges would be wrapped. I'm strange. I understand this. And we would open them up one at a time. It was torture for them. I loved it. Halfway through unwrapping presents, because we only did them one at a time, halfway through unwrapping presents, we would stop and have lunch. <laughs> if it went so long, we had one Christmas, I remember, we stopped and had dinner. And didn't finish un unwrapping presents until the evening. People thought we were crazy. I've I passed it on. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. My kids know what Christmas means. And they're passing it on to their generation, the next generation. Do something different this Christmas to make sure that you and your kids and your grandkids, that they know what the real meaning of Christmas is. Teach them. Become a child with them and allow them to experience your childlike childhood faith. For ultimately, this is Jesus' birthday and not our own. Christina Rossi wrote a marvelous poem many years ago, the last stanza of which you may recognize it was turned into a song, but the last stanza of which really expresses, I think, the heart of Christmas. The last stanza goes this way. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what can I give him? I know. I'll give to him my heart. That is the true meaning of Christmas. And to that end, I wish you all a merry and blessed Christmas. In Jesus' name. Pray with me. Oh God, we don't want to be those people that miss it. And yet how easy it is, even for us today, amidst all of the shopping and hustle and bustle and all the things that make up this Christmas season, how easy it is, O oh Lord, for us to miss it. We pray, O oh Lord, that in this season, in this time, in this place, wherever we are, however old or young we may be, that you will open our eyes and that we will not miss Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.